Oh, actually, one thing, you know, I never realized our passcode is our fucking birth date. I always forget it. And every week I check the fucking chat for the passcode. And then I realized today it's our birthday. Why do you need a passcode? You should just grab it or jump in because of the link. And I have to put in the passcode every week. Do you have to, Harry? No. Because we're in the system, maybe. There Even last year, I didn't. Anyway, yeah. Mm, interesting. That's a pointless start to the. That's a pointless start to the podcast, Joe. But I think we'll lead with that. Welcome to Miami, baby. That's it. Welcome to episode. I'm in Miami, bitch. I think it's 75. The Racing Line podcast as Joseph sips on uh, episode 76 as Joseph sips on his latte, um, late night latte. Cappuccino. 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 Good luck going to bed tonight, but anyway. I reckon. Um, a bit late for, boys. A, for a bit of caffeine. Um, that's what happens when you want to play COD. <laughs> <laughs> it's still breakfast fuel. <laughs> what time is it? It's still early, boys. It's only 8.41. Um, so... As you boys have so um, beautifully presented, we're coming to you after the Miami round of the Formula One, second time in Miami. Um, interesting weekend. I guess there's a few talking points, um, but if you haven't watched the race, we'll give you the top three. Um, Max Verstappen started from ninth um, after a red flag kind of got him, uh, caught him out because he hadn't put a, a lap time in in qualifying. Uh, managed to make his way through with a hard tire strategy to first um, and was pretty dominant, um, you know, with that strategy, you know, in relation to Sergio Perez. Um, Perez still came home very comfortably in second, 14 seconds behind, uh, and the two of them finished, I think it might have been 16 seconds um, ahead of third place, who was Fernando Alonso, which is another really good result for Aston Martin as they keep, you know, progressing forward Um with the development of this particular car. So interesting race. Um, a lot of, um, a lot of high, um, not high powered, but a lot of personalities, uh, at the race. Um, you know, that was a big part of the, the broadcast. I thought the kind of the celebrities that were there. Um, but what did you guys actually make of the race? Um, I thought it was better than Baku, but upon reflection, I think that was only the case because a few cars were out of position after quality. Mm. I'm I'm not sure if Max had started, say, in the top three, if Leclerc had qualified top five, probably because the way he was pushing that car, if he finished his lap, he would have been top top three or four. I think. Um, mm. uh, I, think that, I think I think that's a bit of I think that's a bit of a oversimplification. I think them two being out of position gave us a lot of uh, interesting overtakes. But then, like, even if you look up and down the grid, there were a few cars who were able to sort of rise through the ranks and a few teams who fell down the order as well. Um, like, I, I think I, I think your first point was right. I think it was Baku it was definitely better than Baku, but I think the problem was because Baku was so, so bad, that um, like if this had followed Melbourne, I don't think people would have been as negative as they seem to be about it. 
because um, it actually was quite a bit of overtaking. Um, was there, but yeah, there was. There was. I, th- I think there was more than enough. Like I'm, I have no problem with the amount of overtaking that was in that race. Like even the DRS zone, they did shorten it, and they were complaining that they had shortened it. Well, I want to start with the, what I liked, and I, you know, what I you, did really you, like. You start because you're the negative Nancy anyway. So you hit us up with the what you like, and we'll. we'll I liked. We'll I really on. liked the track. Second time round. Mm. I agree. There's a lot it's... more. I, I was watching a lot more on board, and I was actually I was telling you this, Harry, off air. You know, sometimes I said if you were to watch just a car going around that track, I think there's a lot of parts of the track where you know moves could be made, and I feel like if you were to see any other car, like or any other category on that circuit, I actually think it would be a very entertaining circuit because there's a lot of there's a lot of parts of it that actually, and you would be able to attest to this, Joe, that reminds me of like Toronto IndyCar circuit, Belle Isle IndyCar circuit, you know, a lot of 90 degrees, but then a fair few flowing corners that came into heavy braking zones. Um, So I actually was looking at the track saying, I don't know if I gave the circuit enough credit when I looked at it as a, like as a track layout. Um, And I was, I was, sorry, just quickly, I was listening to an interview, I think with Daniel, um, And he was saying they made a few changes compared to last year that have um, made it better for racing. So, yeah, you know, they, they they made that chicane a bit longer so it wasn't so tight. They were able to, you know, get some speed out of the end of that, at the back of that. Um, they resurfaced this, the track itself. So I think it did lend itself to a bit better racing. I, this, yeah, this I year. did. Yeah. I like, I objectively just looked at the circuit and I'm like, you know what, there could be good, racing on a circuit like this um i actually got to, i was actually tempted to download the game just to cut laps at that track so i thought you know what this it gives me it is pretty it fun giving, to it is pretty fun it was giving me old it was giving me the old valencia street circuit vibes mm, i don't yeah. know why but it was mm. giving me those vibes a little bit i think any track who has sort of like a maggots and beckett sort of curvy section or like the curvies at um coda I don't know, if, but I, I really like that aesthetic on a track and I think as well it does put a lot of load through the tyres. Unless it's Saudi Arabia um, when that's 80% of the track. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Unless, it, unless it's the whole track, yeah, then, yeah, obviously. Yeah. What, what, is, what, what did you call it? The human doodle? Um, yeah. So unless, <laughs> un, uh, unless it's, I said it was unless a doodle, but not, the, uh, not a doodle as in the appendage, <laughs> a doodle we, as in the art remember. of doodling. I just yeah, thought, we were, squiggling, squiggly lines. I remember, yeah, I know, I know. Um, like there was, I think there was a lot of good things that were going for, that was going for this race. I think the lack of adhesion that the cars actually had, they were all complaining about lack of grip through the early part of the um of the weekend. I think qualifying was was really interesting. I think the red flag at the end made it even more interesting, to be honest. Like I had no, no complaints up to then. Um, I think the only thing for me that probably disappointed me in hindsight was I think the hard tires were just too hard. And in hindsight, I think um, with how sort of the strategies played out, I think that sort of probably ruined the race between the two Red Bulls and that this is all in hindsight. But then the other thing, I think is really important to mention is Pirelli sent sends all the teams the three 
what they say the three optimum tire strategies for a race that will get you to the end the quickest. And the one that Verstappen and his team chose was need was none of them. So none of the strategies that were presented to all the teams had starting on the hard tire as the quickest to the line. Um, so then thinking about that, I just, I think one of the biggest positives is just how undeniable Verstappen was this week. And yeah, he got caught out in qualifying, but to then sort of show the pace he did with those old tires and pretty much match Checo through that whole stint when he was on the, what, 27 lap older tires was phenomenal. And, and for that, I think I, I, have, I have no qualms about how boring it might've been at the end. Cause I think it was just a great ride or drive. I don't think anyone would be I'd deny that it was a great ride drive. I think Verstappen like did everything that he could do. It's very Lewis-esque in that regard, based on you know what Lewis has done for the last seven years with do the package think, that he's had. Do you think that? Do you think that like say Verstappen um, being able to drive those hards that far into a race in itself is a good thing for the Formula One? No, you can drive nearly what. 75% of the race on the hards. We, we, we see, we've we seen had, it the last three races. We had Ocon do every lap yeah. bar yeah, one but, last but, week. You know, I mean. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, but I'm saying like Ocon was on a, was not on a strategy to win a race. Like you can do it to maybe salvage a point. And, and I think, and, I think and that's fact, different to being, having the pace to win a, win, win a race. Was, I think the fact that it was a viable option for them shows just how, just how dominant that car is. Um, that's what I think it really shows. I mean, yes, he did, you know, he maximized his, um, the output of his race, but for them to, to kind of take that strategy on and to really feel no pressure, not even from an undercut or anything in that regard either, kind of just shows how dominant that car is. And it makes sense because when we were watching him last week, um, they were like a second, 1.2 seconds ahead every lap. So, you know, you lose a bit of time based on the tire compound what is it? Four to six tenths of a second. They're still, rel- they're still very much covering, covering the interest from that. So, I mean, well, that things, car is dominant than, right now. Um, other than the, other than Sergeant and Piastri, one thing I found interesting was no other cars got lapped this race. I don't know if that's that's in indictment or showing that the teams are getting close. And I think actually, if you think about it, Alonso being fifteen seconds behind. Uh, Checo, and then I think Russell was, I think, 30 seconds uh, from Checo or from the race lead, maybe it was. No, because Alonso um, was 30 seconds off the race lead. Was he? Oh, then he was 15 yeah. seconds off Checo. Um, I think that the margins are tightening a little bit. You can't talk about this is the thing you can't talk about a 30 second margin to third and say it's a tight margin. I, I think, I think the, the, the gap between, say, from P3 to P seventeen, P eighteen is getting smaller. closer than that from third. It's a, it's to first, a, it's a lot smaller. It's a lot smaller. Okay. I think you have to also take into consideration that there was probably a lot of um, like once Anything. the once the once the Red Bulls were in you know their one two position, I think there would have definitely been a lot of en, uh, engine conservation um, with the kind of race that they had. I think there would have been a lot of tire conservation. Um, I think the fact that they were on the hard for so long as well kind of gave everyone that undercut the um, 
Verstappen pit stop a little bit of a, I wouldn't even say advantage, but at the very least par, period of par. Um, so I think all of those factors have to go into consideration because if you're as far ahead as they were, you know, I think it would have been very prudent of them to say, listen, cool your jets, turn everything down. You know, we're comfortably in the lead. We can manage this race and kind of save components for the rest of the season. I think that very much would have played into them not um, dominating as much as they could have, even though they were, you know, supremely dominant. Um, and I think from their point of view, that's a very prudent um, avenue to take. Um one, like let's it, rather than just talking about that, I think one good story to come out of the race was um, Alpine getting a double points finish. There was a lot of rhetoric about what the CEO of Alpine had said this week and how, you know, he said that the investment that we've made in the team is in, in no way being kind of validated right now by the results that they're getting, by kind of all, you know, where that kind of sits. And I think that's one of the conversations I did want to have this weekend. Um, because, you know, yes, we can, you know, we talk hypothetically about what Formula One could be and and kind of the spectacle and all those kind of things. But you're talking about, you know, this huge company like Renault um, who have put a lot of money into drivers, into developing the car. Um, and if you look at where they are this year, um, you would say that over the last, I think what's been eight years now since they've been back in Formula One, very marginal gains in relation to where they started when they bought Lotus. Um, and after that much investment, I think there's probably a few people in the, you know, in, in the head office saying, is this worth the investment? And I think that's maybe kind of, I mean, it's still very early days. It's just, you know, a one-off, you know, weekend, you know, conversation, all those kind of things. But Motorsport is getting more competitive and we have spoken about some of the other avenues where the competition is starting to kind of gain traction. We've spoken about WEC, we've spoken about, you know, in its very small time, you know, change of regulation or its most recent change of regulations, how much it's doing to tighten up its field. Um, and if you're at someone like Alpine who is going in that direction where there is definite cost cap saving, where there's still the... Um, the grandeur of racing somewhere like Le Mans to get your, you know, exposure as a brand to go up against a traditional rival like Peugeot as well. Um, looking at what Formula One is right now, particularly with the the scale, not really all the all the grid not really coming together as much as we all expect to be expected. We all hoped with the cost cap as well as the new regulations. Um, you know, that was what everyone was waiting for to bring the field together and to kind of have a chance at being more competitive with that definitely not being the case right now. Um, are you surprised by those comments? Are you surprised by the scenario? Um, and should it make Formula at least think a little bit about their strategy moving forward? What has, what, like, I thought it's interesting because really when you think about it, what has Alpine done? in the Alpine or Renault era before it that has sort of made you think they're taking big swings. They bought they Ricardo and paid him $40 million. Yeah. Okay. Other than, other than buying Ricardo, they bought Ricardo other than that. And I think that was, that sort of fell in their lap. I think if you think about it objectively, bringing Cyril in as the team principal, I hate to be the bear of bad news. Cyril had never really done anything in Formula 1 before 
yeah, he was French. That was about it. I, um, I think I think then, one of th- like you can say they didn't like they. Um, let, me, let me let me finish my point though, mm. right? So then you get rid of Cyril. Fair enough. It didn't really work out. And um, who do you bring in? You bring in Omar, and I'm not. I don't have anything against him, but like on the same vein, he was the t- he was a very efficient team principal for. Uh, uh, racing point force in, yeah. racing point force india what uh, whatever that conglomerate is and then had sort of they lucked in not lucked into they very smartly copied a car and uh were able to compete at the front of the field for a year um but like that was sort of the anomaly of just a very well run mid team like mid table team from an aerodynamic point of view they literally tried to they went and got I think his name's Timothy Burthen he was um Ferrari then the FIA wanted him to to essentially write or to be part of the group that actually put the um aerodynamic uh changes kind of into some kind of you know formula that they could go racing with. And then they kind of headhunted him, put him on gardening leave for a year and a half from the FIA. And then like they went to, yeah, they like, spent money trying it, to yeah, bring. But, but did, did, did they, did they spend money in the right way? Like, taking Listen, someone you from can, Ferrari. You can argue about, yeah. we can argue about I'm not whether arguing, they I'm hit, just saying. I'm just arguing about whether they hit on their targets, but the money had like, the money was still spent. The intention was still there. And whether they've hit or not, whether their strategy was correct or not, if you are the company and you have got kind of billions and billions of dollars in this product that isn't performing um, and you've put, like they've put their money where their mouth is financially. Um, yeah. but the, obviously there's nothing to show for it in that regard. It's very much of a Toyota story, which kind of shows how hard Formula One is to be successful in. Um, cause they're hardly the, the first team or hardly a team right now that's put a lot of money into it without getting a whole lot of bang for their back out of it. But regardless of what they've actually achieved, money's been spent. It hasn't been spent well. They haven't achieved. How long do you keep doing it when looking at, the teams that are performing well, the teams that are achieving, the gaps are getting bigger and bigger, not smaller. I, I can't see Alpine leaving yet. Um, I, I think it was a ploy by Laurent Rossi to maybe put a fire up their ass. Um, but what does it change? It's a bit really? premature like, though. Like I don't, with what does it change? coming next race. What did you say? Sorry. Like I, I was saying, do you think it's a bit sort of bad timing with everyone's updates, like everyone's sort of major update coming next race. I think it's perfect timing because if you're him and you're saying, okay, the updates are coming next race and kind of um, if that doesn't make a change, well, then things might start changing from our like point from, of from, view. From an objective point of view, for, for, the, mid, for the mid-season battle, the mm. season really starts next week. Our next race at Imola, um, yeah. and like when I look at when I look at sort of the teams that they're racing around, yeah, Mercedes and Aston are uh, you know going to be best of the rest, and Ferrari as well. Um, do I think with a few updates they can probably even get to that challenging Ferrari point? I, I don't. I wouldn't put it past them. I don't think they're that far off Ferrari. Um, in terms of uh, sort of race pace, they, you know, maybe just a few tweaks and they could be there depending on what Ferrari does. But can I throw um, you another? That, 
Can the I thing, thought, sorry, H, go, mate. The thing with Renault and Alpine, it's been the same since probably before Danny Rick was there, but I noticed that mostly when Danny Rick was there, their car is, is very specific to certain tracks. So one week he'll be battling for a podium and the next week he was down in P12. Like that, they can never make a car that's consistent across all, all circuits. Can I so, throw another hypothetical into it, the mix? To me, it's a personnel issue, but mm. yeah. So the last couple of years, they've had Alonso in the car who is notorious for overdriving and overachieving and underperforming cars. So was their car not as close to, um, was not as good as we thought it was purely based on Alonso driving it as well? Well, no, I think I think Ocon, whenever Alonso had good weekends, also had good weekends. Um, but I do yeah. think the car was the car was better last year, 100%. Yeah, but I don't think Ocon is going to pull out the the eleven tenths out of a car. Like I, I don't rate Ocon as a driver, and never, never kind of have. And yet, Gasly, he's performed really well in an AlphaTauri, but we haven't seen him in a in a different team perform. So, jury's still out on Gasly, and I'm not discrediting what he's done. But in terms of a team that wants to challenge for titles in the future. Are they the two drivers, A, that are going to do it? And B, do they have the structure in place to actually build that car and give them a car? Because I don't think they do. I think Gasly could be. I don't, I don't, I, I don't think Ocon is. Um, I don't think Ocon has lived up to his hype, um, to be frightfully honest. But like, having said that, I, d- I definitely don't think he's a bad second driver for a team either. Um, like I, I wouldn't get rid of him. In terms of challenging for a championship, I, I think they're they're so far off that it's not funny, um, and I don't think like I don't really notice them throwing around that sort of phrase loosely. Um, would would it surprise you if in two years you're ask, time, they were gone? They pulled out of the sport. I don't I don't know how their financials look like. I don't know what. Like f- for me, when I think about Alpine, like as a as a sporting entity, Renault, that's Renault. They have yeah, but like using the Alpine branding, like what you're saying is is Alpine going to be gone in two years? Renault not uh, it has got a name synonymous with Formula One. Alpine's name in Formula One is what two years old. Mm. When I think of Alpine as a sports car brand, they were very successful in the LMP two like very successful in the LMP two days of Le Mans were always the um, sort of go-to team. Um, and them wanting to venture into, you know, uh, what is it now called? Hypercar, which is definitely, which is on the cards. If they were to pull back, I, would, I wouldn't I would be surprised, but I just don't think they get the exposure that they, they you know, they're obviously in Formula 1 for exposure and they're not going to get that um, in hypercar, and I'm guessing they're doing that because the budget has opened up from Formula One now to do it. So I don't know. I, I... But this, this is the, this is the other this is the other consideration, right? So right now the exposure isn't there in the WEC, but the argument's going to be made with, I mean, like with Le Mans being what it's going to be this year, and what Le Mans is going to be next, like from the forecasting of top tier teams, hypercars at Le Mans next year, they're projecting it could be somewhere in the thirties, right? 
30 in the 20s in the 20s wait i think they said up to 36 they could no they could facilitate up to 36 now whether they get that number or not right okay let's say it is in the 20s let's say it's 20s 25s right if you've got ferrari um renault not renault ferrari peugeot porsche cadillac you know lamborghini Name it, name it, name it, name it. 25 cars all racing for the premier endurance race, right? Well, as far as the trajectory of that category goes, it becomes a lot more well-known. Right now, they haven't had really had a big race that's of any note to anyone that might be outside of that particular sphere. All of a sudden, that changes this year. And then next year, um, with, again, another plethora of, sports car brands going into it, BMW, another one that I forgot moving into that race as well, that's all of a sudden going to pick up a lot more traction. And if you are someone like Alpine who has cut your teeth in endurance racing um, and then like the money that's being invested into the Formula One team isn't really bringing any results, um, you can get the same level. Like you're getting exposure. Like would you rather potentially win Le Mans and get exposure that way or continue to race for fifth, sixth, seventh, tenth, and yeah. never really get the exposure of a win, you know? uh, yeah. or even a podium in that regard. It's not even close. Oh, Formula One yeah, is 100%. so far above it. It's, if you were to win Le Mans, can I say to Anthony and Joe, Le Mans is is a big deal, but to Tom, Dick, and Harry out, you know, in in Miami or in Melbourne or wherever, no one gives a fuck about Le Mans and. I like I like it, but your everyday person is not worrying about Le Mans. It's Formula Formula One's the biggest. Your everyday person is worrying about who came ninth in Formula One, but like honestly, yeah, but, you're not even trying to be. Rhetoric. Yeah, but the, yeah, yeah, but the eyes are still on the sport. You, you, you're getting two hundred and seventy thousand people at the race this morning, right? I'm not saying Alpine's getting huge exposure by finishing ninth, but they're on the telecast. They're they're in the sport. That's where the difference is. Uh, yeah, there is there is there is a brand there is a there is a there is now hundreds of thousands of people. We could even say millions of people mm. who have gone from not knowing the, that Alpine as a brand exists to knowing very much so that it exists, and that is don't, sort of the long and short of it. Don't get me wrong, Le Mans is super prestigious, and to win it is amazing, and. And all that, but I just think to the everyday consumer who are switching onto Formula One now, like I don't know if you saw, and it made me laugh so hard. Alfa Romeo had some bloody influencer from Miami in their garage over the weekend, and she put a video up saying, I'm in the Alfa Romero um garage this weekend. She- and it and even Alpha posted up something and called themselves Alfa Romero. Like they're all taking the piss out of this chick. You're not getting that exposure at Le Mans. Let's be honest. No, that's 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 for sure. What do you think of Mercedes this weekend, guys? Before we go too far down that rabbit hole, underwhelming. <laughs> but I think um, underwhelming. Maximise that. There's a huge upgrade coming. Um, they're saying that there is a huge upgrade. They upgrade coming upgrade. for the next yeah. race. Unless yeah, they eighty percent of the car, they said. Unless they bolt on side pods, I don't think it's going to make make a difference. I think they're bolting on side pods. You reckon? I was thinking about it this week, right? That that car has got – their main complaint is downforce, right? And there is no way 
that Aston Martin, who's running the same drivetrain gearbox engine, have just copied Red Bull's aero design <laughs> without much, like without much thought, mm. and they have made such gains on the works Mercedes team. And 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 you know the thing about Mercedes, they're, they're it's like they're running well for a team that cuts off its side pods every race. <laughs> All right. It just, it honestly baffles me how long, and yeah, I understand that, you know, once you go down that rabbit hole, it takes a bit to turn the ship around. But surely it's not an anomaly that they're they're struggling for aero. And you look at, you know, Red Bull and Aston, and you think you're going to get a lot of aero just from the shape of those side pods and, you know, the aero wash on it is... I reckon they're wait and see. Like I think, I reckon I mean, they're bringing. I reckon they're bringing Red Bull copy side pods. Listen, if not, that's, even, not even if that's, joking. If that's like that's that would be that would be prudent of them to do that. Like it's not like I wouldn't even. Who's going to blame them? Like the reality is, considering that they have in some races a semblance of competitiveness, that's a benefit for them. If they're able to kind of hit on all their, um, you know performance indicators from this particular update, well, then that's that's going to get them closer to the front, hopefully gets them closer to Ferrari more consistently. Um, whether they're going to be challenging Red Bull, I don't think that will be the case. But, um, but yeah, that was a bit – that was a tough race for them this week. Um, they're not – they've kind of been a bit up and down to start the year. Mm. I don't think they're, you know, kind of where they want to be, but it would definitely, um, you know, knowing the – credentials of the team, I would say that this upgrade package um, is probably going to be a little bit um, like safe. I don't know if it's going to be innovative. It's going to, again, it's probably going to be a lot of copycat technology elements from it, but that's probably something that you want because we know the engine's good. We know the team's good. Mm. Um, let's see if they can just, you know, still, you know, a third of a second, half a second from it. Um, it would be interesting. How funny, but how how funny would it be if, say, they bolt on conventional side pods, right? Mm. And they are within, you know, and 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 they're some like they're they're somewhat in the mix. Mm. Would would you find it humorous, or would you find it infuri- infuriating that if we've been robbed of that for four races? No, I would find mm. it jo- joyous. Mm. I'm joyous. with it. because it's it's a part of Formula One, right? Watching the updates and everything. Come in throughout the season and seeing the performance change. Well, then what happens if that's? I'd prefer so that they all just had it straight away. But so, so say they bolt on, <laughs> say they bolt on the Red Bull side pods, <laughs> and yeah. they springboard they springboard to competitive second best car on the grid, mm. and 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 they can split the Red Bulls. All right. Yeah. How many races after that does Ferrari bolt on Red Bull side pods? <laughs> It's gonna, it's gonna be like. Um, I don't know if the it's last a, regulations where they all ended up looking like Mercedes. I think it's an oversimplification of Formula yeah, One era. I, I, I thought cool. that. I thought that, but then I thought Aston Martin is your running test dummy. But they had it. They had an off season. They built that. They designed the car off last year's Red Bull. Yeah, I understand that, but like that's. I tell you, that's all. That's probably 90% of the upgrade is just copying the Red Bull era. The problem is this, right? This is like, this is, yes, the argument can be made that you copy the Red Bull, you get closer to the front. To beat They've done Red it Bull, twice though. They've done it twice in four years. Okay. But to beat Red Bull, 
like if the if your aim is to get to a podium like Aston Martin has been because they've done nothing up until that point well that's great because it gets you some gets you further up the grid it gets you four podiums from the first six races or something like that if you're a team like Mercedes or Ferrari your goal isn't to be one step mm. behind Red Bull and to capitalize on their aero developments you need to steal a march on them and you can't steal a march purely by being reactionary you have to have some proactivity to the way that you design your car as well to steal a march on your competition yeah but you you would you would also expect that if they go down that same philosophy they also have the experience expertise money and yeah, but they don't because everything that they time do, as well everything that they them. everything they learn based on copying that initial red bull design red bull would have already learned it a step before them that's just the nature of the arms race but apparently when they designed their car for these, these regs, they had two cars anyway. So maybe they're trying, maybe they're going to use the rest of this year as a testing. Mm. Apparently, they, apparently they, apparently they had two chassis. They had, a, they had, a, they had a, another car in like yeah. in development over the off season in case this aero philosophy did, you know, what it's happened, what, what has happened now. Mm. Um, and, and what they're saying as well is, the Mercedes philosophy is so dependent on running low to the ground. Like that's the reason that they're surprised that they, they stuck with it was because the cars all had to get raised to mitigate porpoising of mm. who they were the, they were the, you know, number one was the, the most, uh, the guiltiest culprit of porpoising. Yeah. Um, like that design is all about the ground effect. Uh, so for them to think like think that they can keep you know the same idea while raising the car is the, is the part that is baffling. Mm-hmm. But having said that, when you, when you look at them, they didn't have a perfect weekend, but they got more points than Ferrari. Um, you know, and I think for them, if they can if they can come you know coming out of this first sector sec- section of the of the championship like. I, I think the championship's gone for everyone. Like when I look at the points already, it's Red Bull's championship. They can they can post home and they'll be fine. But for the for the you know Aston Martin, Mercedes and um, Ferrari uh, sort of battle, if you know they're they're leaving behind Aston Martin, but you know knowing that they've got an upgrade coming and you know better drivers than Stroll. Uh, I think for them, they like they seemed a lot more optimistic after this race. And even Toto said after the race, he said, "Look out for our update at Imola." He said something along those lines. So, I think they know they've got a they've got something up their sleeve. If yeah, if if Mercedes are quicker, if Ferrari bring updates and they're quicker. What happens to Aston considering it seems like they've, they're fighting with one car at the moment? Like, does Fernando continue to pull out these awesome results and you got Stroll down in P9, P10? Like, that team, if they want to move forward, I don't, I don't know. Like, I know he's the son of the, the owner, but if they're serious about that, dude, serious about challenging in the future, do they have to make a decision soon? I think this was the first race that Stroll probably underperformed, to be honest. No, 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 no. This year... This year he's been he hasn't been too bad. I don't. I just. I think not, not at Alonso's level. I think we made the. No, like you, he's, you can, he's not like, at Alonso's level. You can talk about like just 
just from an eye test point of view, you can see the difference between a great driver mm. and a good driver. Now, I would say right now, Aston Martin don't need they need a great driver to get the results that Alonso is getting. But when they make, make that next step that they want to make, that's when the decision's going to have to be made whether Stroll gives them, you know, every um, fighting chance to maximize their results. Because I think right now he's a, he, he will get them where the car is expected to go. Mm. 99% of the grid will do that. Like they're all good enough to do what the car's expected to do, but to take the car beyond that, to be a Max, to be a Fernando, to be, I don't know if it's even a Leclerc right now, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, Um, you know, but to be that someone that can, you know, elevate um, the performance of the car, I don't think he's got it. And I think for Aston Martin, yes, you can be the son of the owner. And we've spoken about, you know, uh, Lance, uh, Lawrence Stroll saying, you know, how much money he's put into his son. He'll have a seat as long as he wants and all this kind of stuff. Um, But, you know, when the reality of the situation hits and you need someone who's going to, like, let's say they do get competitive next year. Well, then that there, there needs to be a, a proper, con, you know, proper conversation, proper decision Dude, about what's in the best competitive interest of this team. Pardon? Next year could be, like, the, the reality is they're competitive this year. I think well, it's too late this year, isn't it? That's the point I'm trying yeah, to make. I'm, I'm saying like it's going to come down to the fact that they get if they are in a, a tight scrap or they lose by a handful of points, you know, and you and then they look at the results of say Fernando's average points haul. But what's what's third? Twelve points. So no, say Fernando's like no, no, eighteen second, fifteen. So say Fernando's average points per race is like around twelve points or something, right? Mm. And then Lance is down. I don't know, at like five or six or four. If if they lose by a handful of points and that's the spread, um I think as a like as if they don't make a change. Yeah, but like yeah, uh, yeah, but last year they weren't like they weren't where they are now. Like this year, they are they are an amazing car. Who hypothetically, your Lawrence Stroll, you're looking at taking your team to the next level. You know you've you know Fernando's only got two more years, say three, this guy could go forever to be honest, but let's say he's got three more years max. If I'm them, I'm going for either Lando or someone like Oscar to learn under Fernando. I'm going with Carlos Saints and I'm giving him a a number one drive as opposed to being Ty second, whatever, de facto number two, whatever his title is. I'm going Carlos Saints. I'm saying, listen. So you'd take him over Lando. Yeah. Okay. I've, I've said it before. I think Lando's probably got more kind of one race elevation with, if everything goes right to maximize the result. But I think if you're thinking about the course of a season, you want someone who minimizes their troughs and kind of just maximizes and sometimes over exceeds the car to get kind of good points, a good points haul over the course of a year. I think um, science is probably where I would start. They pay him a shitload of money is, to make sure that he wanted Lando's to leave. Contract? Pardon? How long oh. has Lando got left on his contract? Is that like four years or something? Twenty-five, nah. I think. Till the end of next year. No, it's not. It's, it's longer than till the end of next year. He extended last year. I thought it was the I end of twenty-five. Yeah, twenty twenty-five. But I think that's where I would start. If if I'm if I'm Aston Martin and and yeah, I think definitely, I think 
I would like to see science as the leader. And he of the team, is a I think. work ethic beast. He's, yeah, as in relation to building connections with the team as well. But the other thing is, I don't think if you're Aston Martin as well, there's any merit in taking say, say other than science, or maybe if you're not going to go science because he's at Ferrari, mm-hmm. bringing back Danny Rick. No. Like that would be the only yeah. But like the only thing I can see for them is looking outside the Formula One bubble. Because I think mm-hmm. when you look at the smaller teams, like if I'm them. I wouldn't mind seeing them throw a lifeline to, like, say, Nick Cassidy or... Actually, you know, Joe, um, Joe, jo, before you go there, mm, mm. go bring Carlos Sainz in and then with your second seat, you give it to Alex Albon. That would be a lineup. Yeah, maybe. That, that I think maybe. would be worthy Albon, of a team Albon might be, Yeah, Albon actually 100% would be a driver that, that, that I think would deserve the move up. But if you weren't going to go that way or, say say Williams can keep him there and and keep developing if he wants to stay there. I would say like go it like I wouldn't bring there there are so many like I don't think Cassidy's a good place to start. I think there are there are there are drivers now that are outside the market that haven't had a good go. Like yeah, we've seen DeVries and he hasn't let the world set the world alight yeah, either. But, but at the same at the same time he's driving what everyone is saying the worst car in the grid. Um, and I'm not. I'm not using that as. A, that's the problem. I'm not using that. I'm not using that as an excuse. But oh, Sonoda's been pretty consistently consistent mm-hmm. this year, which which is, un, which is inconsistent. Which is <laughs> yeah, inconsistent of him. Um, yeah, I think. I think. Well, going back to the main point, I think this year is going to be very telling for Aston Martin's aspirations for where they finish and how they then choose to proceed. Because this is the best car that Stroll has ever raced in, like in terms of competitiveness on the grid. Like mm. that is the second best car on the grid at this point in time. It's not the third best behind the Red Bull and the Mercedes. This is the second best car, and mm. and Fernando's been on the podium four times, and he hasn't been on the podium once. once. And then to then, and, and then he's never to, looked like getting close. Well, this weekend I thought he he looked he looked shell shocked, and he couldn't even, he couldn't race to the back of the grid, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't race to the back of the top 10, which I was surprised about. He was <laughs> dueling with the Williams and the, you know, the, this weekend, especially I thought we saw a, a clear distinction of your top five teams and your bottom five teams. What about this? Sorry, before he we go any part of that, yeah, before we go any further, what is the likelihood that he throws a lot of money to, um, to Leclerc, who seems somewhat there's a bit of angst but, but why, between but why, Leclerc why, and Ferrari why, right now. Why would you? I, why I, would you? If Leclerc's leaving, he's only going to Mercedes or Red Bull. He's not going to Aston at this point in time. Well, Give he's it not a few. going to Mercedes. He's not going to Mercedes or Red Bull with this form anyway. That, yeah, that's what I'm like. He looks at, like a broken man. At the moment, he seems like out of the top echelon of drivers who we'd say is probably Max, Lewis, Fernando, George is probably up there at the moment. He's the one that's not able to find the limit and keep it on the limit. He seems to be going past it and binning it a fair bit. I don't I know. Think, is, I, is think, that the- I think he's the kind of driver, but where he, like, rightly or wrongly, he's not, I don't think he's ever been the driver that is going to just say, okay, my car's sixth best today. Let's kind of maximize it. He's always pushing to the limit. He, he, he's, a, he's literally the Mark Marquez of Formula One. 
where it's either I'm pushing it to the limit, you know, I'm going to get a pole, I'm going to try to win the race. And if I can't win the race, well, then I don't think there's a point, you know, I'm not going to just kind of be left wondering what could have been. And I think it's not prudent, like it's not wise because obviously over the course of a season, you need to be able to maximize the the whole season. But he's the kind of driver, if there is one, (laughs) who kind of it's either, okay, we're either ball, we're going balls to the wall, we're either going to be heroes or we're going to be on the sideline. And, um, and I think the car right now is just, it's just obviously not good enough to, um, to be a hero. He, he's one of my favorite on the grid and he's not doing himself any favors at the moment. That's for sure. Yeah, I agree. But I think, I think they, but both guys seem to make the same mistakes at different tracks. And I think it's tracks that they even must be tracks that either driver struggles more at. Like the, the struggles at that, but the car isn't great. Yeah, but like you have one weekend where it's Leclerc spinning, mm. and 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 science will look decent, and then the next weekend science will be you know spinning or complaining about just not being able to find the limit, and Leclerc will look somewhat decent like last weekend. Um, but like consistently, they've got they've both got the same problems. Well, let's finish on this good, conversation tonight, to start. because one thing that is interesting is that. This was supposed to be a new era, not era, a new year for Ferrari, new leadership, um, an old wily head. He hasn't, uh, he hasn't had enough time. Who'd been around the block. But the, the team, the actual way that the team operates and functions is um, exactly the same as it was last year and the year before and 10 years, and, you know, the same as it was under Arriva Benet as well. Um. You know, is is Ferrari just so desperate to chase and be in that in that top? You know, be at the top again that they kind of just are constantly feeling the pressure to perform and to overperform based on the team's obvious and the car's obvious deficiencies right now. I, I think. I, I, you go. I think he got a bit of a taste last year of what it what it's like being in a competitive car, and he's trying to chase that at the moment. And clearly, he's not in that car, so he's overdriving it. I think as a, for either as a team, when you think about the decision to let Bonotto go, like last year, one of the main problems with the car was the was the uh, power unit. And that was a part of the car that Bonotto actually wasn't really in that in control over. But now this year, when you hear about it, the problem seems to be with the, you aero. know, the, the, the aero. And that was something that Bonotto was looking after. Um, so with him gone and then the whole change of leadership that's happened and then having to stay with that philosophy, you could imagine they could, that the team itself could just be sort of, in that sort of meandering, trying to find a sort of heading, but you know, there are people in in places who who didn't start that philosophy, and you can probably say over the over the off season, the, the probably the most important thing was to was to sort of maintain the status quo and see like and see what they had and what they could work with. But I think now looking at it, like I said, I don't I didn't think Fred was going to come in and change anything because it was not enough time. I think that's definitely the case. But 
for him as well, I think this year is going to be very much analysing the situation that is at hand. Mm. Um, getting, I think he will be the person to come in and sort of cut a lot of what he would deem sort of the the dead wood around Ferrari. Um, and like I, I'm, I'm interested mostly to see what updates they bring because you have got the three philosophies in terms of the three cars, but out of all the teams, I think they would be the one that would um, be the most stubborn to change it. Uh, I, I think it's like for Ferrari is very much my way or the highway uh, and no one's bigger than the team. But when I look at Mercedes, I think Mercedes is a team that like w- wants to be competitive like first and foremost, whereas Ferrari seems to look, have the vibe of want to be competitive but the Ferrari way. Um, and I think it's going to be very interesting how like going over the next like four or five races and the updates they bring, if it's just going to be sort of like a weaning out period for them and going, all right, that doesn't work, that doesn't work. And and I think it's going to be a long season for them. I really do. All right. Just quickly before we finish, with Formula, like we're obviously looking at supercars next week and we're having a, yep. a, a break for Formula One. What's a couple of things that you're interested to look forward to to Imola? Oh, I know I'm looking forward to seeing possibly McLaren improving a little bit. Like this week was abysmal. Um, seeing if, if seeing if they can bring anything to Imola to improve a little bit more, you know, not come 19th and 17th, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think McLaren, um, the, the qualifying, like it's hard to pass right now. So if you're qualifying that far down, hmm. the, the midfield is so close that you just, you're just setting yourself up for failure. Um, so I think they will perform better than they did um, did today, which is good. Um, I think I'm looking most forward to just seeing where kind of where the chips fall with these updates. So there's obviously mm-hmm. McLaren are talking about another big update. I don't know if it's this week actually, but um, Mercedes, let's see if they can get closer Imla, to Imla is the next race. Yeah. 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 So no matter what. I don't it's know if Imla. McLarens are coming at Imola. Oh, because they bought one already this week. Two weeks ago. Mm. Um, okay. So I just mm. want to see if the field actually is able to condense a little bit on Red Bull. Um, I'm looking forward to a, a normal track. Yeah. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you. Just based on how the racing's been up until this point, I'm not expecting, you know, a large amount of overtaking. Um, the one thing that Imola's got working for it is the huge straight. Let's see if that gives us at least something. A bit of grass on the edges. Um, a bit of grass. Ideally, a is bit Imola, of rain. If we get a bit of Imola, rain, I'll actually be very impressed. Like, very happy. Is Imola a high dig track? No, be, not necessarily. Okay. None of them are high dig anymore because the bloody ground effect just makes them stick. They don't slide at all. Um, so, it's just, yeah. A bit of rain. That's what I'm, I'm hoping for. I'm, I'm not as... I'm just... I would be happy to have a race like we had this week on a proper track. Yeah, I'm with you First on that. and foremost. I'm sick of street um, circuits. I think I think as well the other thing is when when you when you're not closed in on by walls, you you feel like you have a little bit more freedom to actually sort of send it. Um mm. and I think uh, Imla especially sort of has a lot of a lot of fast corners, a lot of breaking into sort of 
sort of hard breaking zones. I hope one thing I hope, I hope that the, they don't fuck with the DRS zones on Imola because <laughs> Imola works good. The big straight. So, yeah. So don't mess with that. Um, did you find it interesting that everyone was complaining about shortening of the DRS zones? Yeah. Well, everyone but our, Red Bull. Which was our, which was out the way that we thought we should, we should fix the sport <laughs> last year and it didn't work. So I actually wanted to mention that this week and I'm man enough to admit that I thought I'd come up with a winning solution to fix overtaking in DRS zones. Um, but alas, it has mitigated overtaking altogether in some situations. <laughs> so not as smart as I look. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I just love Imla as a track. So like I would, um, I reckon I could watch a braid there and I'd still love it. So I'm not too fast. I think it's going to be an awesome race. Hopefully there's a bit of, um, a little bit of weather. Always is it. Is it also, is it a sprint race weekend as well? Like it was last year or no? Uh, I'm not sure. Give me two seconds. I'm not sure. Pull it up it, quickly. Yeah, I'm pulling it up. Uh... Sorry. All right. F1 2023 sprint race calendar. No, Baku, Red Bull Ring, uh, Spa, Spa, um, La Salle, Coda, and Interlagos. Imola is not the coming week, though, is it? No, it's the week after next. Yeah, okay, because we've got GT racing at Brands Hatch next week. So no matter how bad that was, we'd have a, something to something watch to on the side. Yes. I, I think we'll leave it there, boys. No worries. Harry, Joseph, as always, thanks for jumping on. Thank you for being so positive today. I really enjoyed I really enjoyed that from you. Congratulations for keeping it positive. I was dread I was dreading coming on today, to be honest, after this morning. I had a word to him today. I said don't be negative. Oh, did you? (laughs) Mate, I think this might be my last year on the pod if it keeps going the way it's going. It's going to be Don't too be hard like, to keep finding the silver like lining every week. We'll cut that. We'll cut that. It's all good. Um, <laughs> what a as, dick. Pardon? What a dick. <laughs> as always, please continue to like, subscribe, share, follow us on our socials. Joseph, Harry again. Just to finish, thanks so much for jumping on. Two weeks till our next race. Next week, we'll have, be having a bit of a deep dive into supercars, maybe even a guest appearance from Tristan Ellery, uh, who's definitely got a few things to say about the um, latest generation of supercars so that should hopefully bring about a few things to to say would be the biggest understatement of the year I think hopefully it brings about a robust debate so I think we'll leave it there boys thank you very much have a great night and we'll bring you our next episode next week so have a good one guys